Aren't y'all grateful to have a pastor like Trey who can lead worship and lead the church and lead worship, you know? Uh, well, if you don't know me, I'm Pastor Lee, and I'm the associate pastor here, and uh, we're just so grateful that you're here with us this morning. We are in the throes of this sermon series called Unpopular, and this is where we tackle some of the more unpopular things that Jesus said and did, and today is a doozy. Today is a doozy. Each week I've preached, I've shared some unpopular opinions just for fun, uh, uh, things that I, that I think that maybe I've been too scared to share before, but these are unpopular opinions that I hold, and so I've done that each week that I've preached, but today I'm asking you for your unpopular opinions. Now, all I ask, no politics, okay? No legislation, no, uh, you know, all the things, no politics whatsoever. We're going to keep it lighthearted because in a minute we're going to dig into some really heavy things, and so for now, I just want to keep it lighthearted, keep it fun, uh, but some unpopular opinions that I've shared have been that pineapple does not belong on pizza. Can I get a witness? Uh, thank you. Uh, professional football is greater than college football. I know I'm not going to get any amens on that one. That's okay. And the Beatles are a little overrated. And so, <laughs> I heard an amen. Uh, so anyway, so those are just some examples. Again, fun things. But I want to hear some of y'all's. What are your unpopular opinions? Just raise your hand. And I'll call on you if, you if you have anything come to mind, unpopular opinion, something you've been a little nervous to share, something light, something fun. Anything? Sheila? Toilet paper goes on top. It rolls top. It does not come. Amen. Amen. That's right. That's good, Sheila. Thank you. Anyone else? Any others? Well, good. Thank you all for doing that. Uh, I've got one. Uh, pecan pie is the worst kind of pie. Yeah? I like pecan. Now, if it's the only pie, I'm going to eat it, okay? Don't get me wrong. I'm going to eat it, but I'm just saying, let's go with some apple, maybe some chess, cherry pie, all those. Chocolate pie, exactly. Thank you. Well, anyway, um, so, you know, it's a little bit liberating to share these unpopular opinions that we have, uh, and that's kind of like what Jesus did, right? Uh, he, he had some really unpopular things to say, and I've tried to be intentional each week about showing the progress of Jesus' ministry from beginning to end, and today is nearing the end of his earthly ministry, and today, what we're talking about today, I think is maybe the most unpopular thing that he said, because it's ultimately what got him killed. Now, the last two sermons I preached, we talked about how the crowds were gathering. Jesus was gaining a lot of popularity uh, as he taught and, and, and traveled. People would follow him, and, and they were coming in by the thousands. And we saw points in Jesus' ministry in which he's having a lot of success, or at least success as we would describe it. And people are hanging on his every word. But he's being very cautious about uh, when and how to share his true identity as the Messiah, as the Christ. And we talked about how Peter makes this great confession. He says, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. But even then, Jesus says, don't tell anyone. We talked about how he did that to protect them because saying that was considered blasphemy 
and terms for death. And then he says something, all this success in ministry, thousands following him, and he says one thing, and everyone deserts him, except for the disciples. He says, eat my flesh and drink my blood. This is in John 6, if you wanna look at it. And we know that today, that that's symbolic, right? He's not literal about that. It's, it's our sacrament of communion. But this scared thousands of people away, leaving only the 12. And, and, uh, and this is the context in which we, we read our scripture today, that, that uh, it's down to just the 12. And not only is it down just to the 12 disciples, Jesus has now given the 12 a lot of bad news in a very short amount of time. Jesus has told the disciples that he is going to die, that one of the 12 is a traitor, that Peter will deny knowing him three times, Satan is working against all of them, and that Jesus is gonna go away and they can't come. So you can imagine what the disciples may have been feeling in this moment. They have lost, they've left their families and their jobs and their homes to follow this man miles and miles of the land and all along the way, what's Jesus' message? Follow me. And now he's saying, you can't follow me. And so you can imagine the frustration, the fear that the disciples are feeling, but this is the context in which we read our scripture for today. And I've formatted this sermon the same way that I've done the other ones where we zoom in and we're gonna go verse by verse and expose the meaning of this text and then we're gonna zoom back out and see the bigger picture. But let's dive in. John 14, verses one through seven. Y'all with me? All right, here we go. 14, one through seven. Book of John. This is Jesus speaking. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So going back to verse one, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. This is Jesus comforting the disciples in the wake of all the bad news he's given them. He's saying, I know I've dropped some bombs on you just now, but don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. In other words, to trust God is to trust me. The disciples were men who grew up uh, studying the Torah daily and, and they had been taught from an early age the ways of God and how to believe in God. And Jesus is saying, now I'm asking you to believe me. To believe in God is to believe in me. Trust me. Verse two, in my father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that? I go to prepare a place for you. He's going to prepare us a room in his father's house. <clears throat> uh, our twins, uh, Paxton and Jackson, were at camp all week this past week, and, and this was their first overnight camp. And, and you could so easily look at the progression, the, the difference between me and Megan 
from the first night they were gone to the last night they were gone. Days one and two, man, we're like, let's party. This is the best thing that's ever happened to us. We can do whatever we want. We have all the freedom in the world. Day three and four, we're kind of more like, uh, it's getting close, but we're starting to kind of miss them, starting to worry about them a little bit. And then day five, everything changed. It was like go mode, prep mode. Megan, like it was a light switch. It was like, we got to clean. We got to clean the house. We got to get the room ready for them. We got to do their laundry. Uh, and, and I realized that the preparation, this prep mode that she entered into was born from an excitement for them to come home. We were excited for them to come home. And that's what I think about when Jesus starts talking about preparing our rooms for us in his father's house. And what if that the day that I chose to believe in Christ and follow him, Jesus began preparing my room in anticipation and excitement for our arrival. Verse three, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also. This is the heart of our scripture today, I think. This is Jesus wanting to, us to be with him. He wants to be with us. He has prepared a room for us in his father's house, but that's not the focus. The focus, the goal is the relationship. It's the friendship with God that he is offering. If we read this scripture as a free one-way ticket to heaven, then I think we've missed the point. The point is to be with God to be with God before and after our death. Moving on, verse four. And you know the place, you know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am. It's significant that Jesus says, I am. This is most likely a reference to when Moses asked God in the burning bush what his name was, and what did he say? He said, I am. I am who I am. It's Jesus saying, I am that God. But it also speaks to the relationship that he wants to have with us. Jesus didn't say, I made a way, I tell the truth, and I give you life. He said, I am. That's the relational part of this verse, if we wanna know the way, the truth, and the life, we have to know the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the way, it's the relationship. It's why Paul says in the book of Acts, in him we live and move and have our being. He didn't say because of him, he said in him. So let's break this down. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way, meaning the way to right relationship with God, the way back to the Father, the way to be with him, to know him. I am the truth. He's saying, I am everything true. I am the answer to every question you've ever asked. I am the truth. Truth by its very nature is exclusive. It's either true or not. And he's saying, I am the truth. I am the life. Two types of living he's talking about here. The path to eternal life, meaning when we die, we get to go be with him in heaven, that we have that eternal security if we have put our trust in him. But he's not just talking about that. He's talking about the type 
of life, the kind of life that we can live here and now. You ever heard somebody say, this is the life? I think about that. Maybe Jesus is saying, no, I am the life. I am the life, the life full of adventure and joy and laughter and victories and family and community. It doesn't mean there's not struggles, but it means that Jesus is with us every step of the way and he's giving us power in every situation. I am the life. We miss the point if we read the scripture and only think it's talking about life after death. There's a great movie uh, that I watched years ago called Lonesome Dove. Y'all ever seen that? Lonesome Dove, yeah. If, it's, if you like Westerns, man, it's a, it's a must-see. I can't officially condone it as a pastor, but it's got some things in there. But uh, I, I like it. It's a good movie. But there's a scene in the movie when Tommy Lee Jones' character, uh, Woodrow, he's kind of the negative Nelly. He's overly cautious. Uh, and he's, he's warning Robert Duvall's character, Gus. And he, Gus is the adventurer. And he's warning Gus. He's saying, man, somebody's, you're likely to die doing that. And, and Gus says, you still don't get it, do you, Woodrow? It ain't dying I'm talking about. It's living. I love that. And I wonder if that's what God's trying to say to us today. Quit reading this scripture as if it's all about what happens when you die. I'm talking about life now. It's living I'm talking about. Life in Jesus is the life. It's the best kind of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. But it doesn't end there. It doesn't end there. The rest of the verse says, no one comes to the Father except through me. Here's the heavy stuff. This is where the unpopular kicks in. There's a doctrine being taught in some Christian circles that teaches all religions, all belief systems, lead to God, lead to salvation. And that although some religions call God by a different name, the divine, Allah, Brahma, they all ultimately lead to the same God and that as long as we subscribe to a religion or if we live a, a, a moral life doing more good than bad, then when we die, we find our way to heaven. We find our way to God. There are multiple paths to the same God. You've maybe heard this before. It's sometimes called universalism, pluralism. And while I would love to believe that, because it quiets a lot of questions and a lot of tension in my mind, I do not believe this teaching to be compatible with Scripture. I originally titled this sermon, Reconciling the Universalism of God with the Exclusivity of Jesus Christ. That's a real attention grabber, isn't it? Real, just rolls off the tongue. But it's because I know that God does not wish that any would perish, but that all would come to know him. And when I think of the billions of people who don't know him, I struggle. So in some ways, it's like when I think, I see the universalism of God. But when I read scripture, I see the exclusivity of Jesus. When I think, I see the universalism. When I read, I see the exclusivity. When I think, I think about my Muslim friend. My friend grew up in Dubai and his family moved to the States when he was 12. And, and my friend is equally dedicated to Islam as I am dedicated to Christianity and how he grew up in the mosque just like I grew up in the church. 
and how his father was an imam, just like my father was a pastor. And when I asked him to tell me a good memory that he had as he was growing up uh, in relation to his faith, he kind of pondered and he couldn't, he didn't really understand why I was asking him. And he said, well, well, tell me something that you, you remember, a memory of yours. I said, well, it was waking up every Sunday morning early with my dad riding in his truck. We'd get there to the church early and unlock doors and uh, turn on the lights. And I just really remember that fondly. And, and when he heard me say that, he said, that, that's exactly the life I live. That is my childhood too. And so when I think you're telling me that two different kids on opposite ends of the world living similar lives, one's destined for heaven and one's destined for hell. I don't like that. And I don't have all the answers and it's not as black and white as we'd like to think. Yet I know scripture says no one comes to the Father except through me. And when I think, I ask questions like, well, well, what happens to the innocent person who's never heard the gospel? Someone who's never heard the name of Jesus. What happens to that, that good person, that innocent person? Problem is, I don't think that good person exists. Scripture points overwhelmingly to the fact that no one is innocent. We are all born into sin. We are all born with this natural tendency to reject God in every way. Maybe you know Romans 3.23, for we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ. Not because of Christ, in Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by him. And so when there's tension in, in, in between what I think and what Scripture says, we must submit to the authority of Scripture. It is the single greatest authority in our lives as Christians. And if you don't necessarily give Scripture the authority that I do, maybe consider it from a logical perspective. Don't you think that if there was ever any other way to bring us back to God, if there was any way other than crucifying the Son of God, don't you think he would have chosen that? It seems like a high price to pay when there were other ways. And I know that a man once said, the one thing that makes Christianity unique and separate from all other religions is that all other religions offer a way to get to God while Christianity is the only one where God gets to us. Let's finish the passage, verse seven. If you know me, you will know my father also. From now on, you do, not, you do know him and have seen him. Knowing Jesus means we know God. Hebrews says that he is the visible image of the invisible God. If we've seen him, we've seen the father. The heart of this passage is not salvation. All this scripture that we've read, it's not about salvation. It's about knowing God, being with God. And the scary truth of it is that we can live our whole lives knowing about God without actually knowing Him. Prayer, worship, fasting, meditating, reading Scripture, 
These are just some of the ways that we can go from knowing about God to knowing God. In my life, there have been times when I've substituted knowledge of God for knowing God. I've, I've been in seminary this past year, and, and I've been pouring over so much literature and scripture and books, and I'm learning so much, and I love it. But in some ways, I've allowed that to take the place of my time with him. I've traded knowing about God for knowing God. Remember what Jesus says in verse 3 about preparing a room for us so that we can be with him. That so that is important. It's all so that we can be with him. Let's finish up in the book of Mark. We're in the book of Mark now. Jesus is on trial for the claims to be the son of God. This is Mark 14, verses 61 and 62. But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? I am, said Jesus. And you will see the son of God sitting at the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven. So we see at the end of this, of, of his ministry, at the end, beginning of the end of his life, there is no more secrecy about who he is. His time has come, and he needs them to know who he is. But it's interesting to think about the fact that the disciples learned about Jesus by what they experienced more than what he said about who he was. The disciples walked with him daily, and they saw him. They saw how he lived his life. They saw the miracles. They saw him going toe-to-toe -to -toe with the spiritual leaders and how he, he fit the prophecies, and he saw how he was compassionate for those in need. And that's what convinced them, and that's what paved the way for him to be able to say at the end, I am the Messiah. I am God. Jesus claimed to be God because he is God. He is God incarnate. He is the word made flesh. He is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the great I am. Friday, we had a funeral for Stephen Phillips. And uh, he was a longtime member here. He served on the tech team for years. And uh, he was here every Sunday up there in that booth. And uh, I'm just so grateful for the times that, that he was here. You may have known him. But we had a funeral for him Friday. And, but these sudden losses often remind us that life is just not a guarantee. That in a moment, we can move from this life to eternal life. And we're not promised another breath. And and I'm not looking to scare you, manipulate, manipulate you, manipulate you into doing anything. I want to remind you that God is the only thing we have that is promised. The sobering truth is that everything in my life that I love, that I hold sacred, family, friends, ministry, can be lost. But we never lose God. And that's the hope and the comfort that we have through a personal relationship with Jesus. But remember, it's not just dying that, we, that he's talking about. It's living. Jesus came to give us abundant life here and now. So I want to ask you, have you put your faith in Jesus? 
Have you put your faith in Jesus? Maybe you're like the disciples who grew up knowing about God, but now you want to know God. That can happen today through a relationship with Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. The team's going to sing another song here in a minute. And uh, if you want to know more about that, I'd be glad to talk to you about what that means. Uh, if you just want to pray in your seat or come to the altar and pray, the altars are open. You're welcome to do so. But remember that Jesus said, I am the way the truth, and the life. And it seems like an exclusive statement, but the truth is it's inclusive. It's an invitation to all. It's an invitation for all of us to come and know him. Would you pray? God, I thank you so much for every person who's here today. Lord, I know that you have us here for a reason, Lord, and I thank you for speaking through me, through your word. God, I pray in these last few minutes that we would, we would take time to be with you, to know you, to pray, to worship, to, to listen. God, help us to hear your still small voice, not just now, but in the days ahead. God, you came to give us eternal life, life after death, but you also came to give us life now, here and now, the best kind of life. God, we thank you for saving us, for loving us, for calling us your own. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.